Okay, so Jonah, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, sorry, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So I'm just going to read um, verse 10 again. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Um, So I was asked to um, share my thoughts on this chapter, but I was reading it over and over again, and I was just like, (laughs) cool. (laughs) Couldn't really bring a concept to mind, um, except that the word compassion really stood out to me, um, and the more I read it, it just kind of kept pinging. In my, in my mind. Um, so I actually decided to look up the definition of um, compassion and uh, look at the linguistic origins of it. Yeah, I know, great word, eh? Just flexing my knowledge right there. Um, so here's what I learned. Um, so first of all, compassion is not to be mistaken for empathy. Where empathy is an awareness of suffering, compassion is a concern for suffering and ignites a desire to help. The Latin root for compassion is pati, which means to suffer. Together with the prefix com, the word becomes compati, which literally means to suffer with. So a core value of compassion is um, to temporarily suspend judgment so that you can appreciate others' perspective or situations. Um, oh, sorry, it's getting a bit emotional there. <laughs> anyway, so God was sending Jonah to Nineveh on a mission to throw the Ninevites some pretty serious shade. Uh, and from Jonah's perspective, the judgment about to rain down on Nineveh was pretty set in stone. Like, it was in the calendar. Um, yet God sees the Ninevites desperate. uh, desperate attempt to repent and his anger immediately flips uh, to compassion and God suffers with them. 
So to me, the message I took from this chapter uh, reiterates the concept that we'd been touching in the last couple of weeks as well, um, that God meets us where we are, um, and no matter what the judgment is. Sorry. (laughs) No matter what the judgment is scheduled in our calendar, God suffers with us. He is compassionate for our struggle and desperation. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> yeah, um, almighty God, what a, what a crazy reality to wrestle with, eh? The creator of the universe being compassionate about a bunch of super evil, super vile, disgusting um, people. And it just reminds us again that you just are this amazing God of love, eh? Um, most of us, <laughs> most of us aren't as vile as the Ninevites. <laughs> Maybe some of us are. I don't know. Um, but we still do some pretty awesome sins, eh? Um, and you continue to look on us with compassion. Um, you continue to look on us with love. And yeah, you're such a god of action in that love too. Thanks that you're not just a god that. In, in weird, mythical kind of quotes, sits in heaven, hanging out with angels, having compassion on us. But you're a God who engages with us in our brokenness, in our lostness, in our messed upness. And we're in awe of that, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Woo! Now I've got weird, wet things in my eyes. What the heck's going on? Hey, it's all Let's all stand up so I can get myself organized before I try and preach. I got the mic, so you have to obey. It to stand up. Shot team. Hey, go and say Kyora to a few people. Say you are amazing. Is that right? You're amazing. Okay, and have a seat, eh? Have a seat. Cool, cool, cool. All righty, a little bit of Preaching action about to happen, hopefully. Feels all good. Um, cool. All right, hey, so we're in John chapter 3. If you didn't figure that out, then maybe go to your doctor, because Naomi just read it. So, I mean, Naomi, um, Rachel just read it. So, chapter 3. I thought I'd do a bit of a recap before we kind of launch into it, because I know some people just have, like, short-term memory loss. Some people missed a sermon or whatever. So, I thought I'd do a bit of a recap. So, um, chapter one, which obviously we looked at a few weeks ago, is just kind of a, each of these chapters is pretty funny, to be honest. There's a lot of funny stuff. Chapter four, not so much, but certainly chapter one. Chapter two, I'll, I'll explain some hilarious stuff in a minute. Chapter three is just absolutely bizarre. Um, chapter one's pretty cool. So as you guys know, God calls Jonah, and Jonah does what none of us would ever do, which is run the opposite direction when God calls us. So hands up. Anyone ever run the opposite direction? No one. Okay, few. Everyone who didn't put your hand up, lie, lie, pants on fire. Um, oh, and sorry, kia ora, podcast people, kia ora to the video people, special shout out to Lee. Hope you're doing better. Lee had COVID, which is not good, so she's getting better though, so go Lee. Um, so yeah, so Jonah goes the opposite direction, and then we have this crazy little action going on in that chapter where you end up having Jonah who says, I fear the Lord, I believe in God. But he's just told the sailors that he's running in the opposite direction. And then you end the chapter with all the sailors worshipping God, who are totally not Christian. You know, God, and you're like, what's, it's all this upside-down craziness. 
And then it ends with human sacrifice, which is always a kind of a wild thing to read in the Bible. And this kind of little reference to Jesus, right, at the end, where it's like the one is sacrificed for the many. And you're like, oh, Jesus. You with me, eh? Okay, shot team. All right, so that's chapter one. Um, and one of the big things that, that comes out in, in this whole book, right, and one of the things I'm going to kind of come back to a few times in this is that obeying God is not always easy, but disobeying God is always harder, right? So obeying God's not always easy. Like heaps of times God calls us to do things and you're just like, oh man, but disobeying God always turns out to be harder, right? So we're going to kind of come back to that. And you totally see this in the book of Jonah. And one of the crazy things you see in chapter one is with Jonah choosing to disobey God, just clearly and bluntly, he puts a whole bunch of people in danger, right? So all those sailors, are you with me, eh? Okay, I'm feeling like this weird non-connection, but maybe it's just hopefully in my confused, messed up head. Um, and it's this crazy thing where you're like, man, Jonah disobeyed God, and, and, and in that disobedience, God nearly destroys all the sailors. And it's this crazy little side note that you're like, man, my disobedience to God can impact and affect a whole bunch of people around me that I never meant to impact and affect. It's like, whoa, freaky. So disobeying God is not always easy, but it's way more easy than disobeying God, right? And then last week, Tom, over there, preached on chapter 2, which is um, such a wild chapter, right? And you guys um, have read Jonah, I'm sure, heaps of times. And I was thinking about it this week. The entire of chapter 2, if you hadn't realized, is Jonah praying inside a fish. So I was thinking, man, what are some of the weirdest places I've ever prayed? I've prayed on planes, trains, in weird places in India, I prayed, I remember seeing a terrifying snake, I hate snakes, in um, America and praying that God would like rapture the snake or something, which he didn't. So turn to someone beside you real quick, turn to someone beside you, what is the weirdest place you've ever prayed? And if anyone in here has prayed inside a fish, then I will show you lunch in the cafe. So turn to someone real quick, what's the weirdest place you've ever prayed to God? Dan? No? All right. Um, hopefully there were some good weird places. Okay. Hey, so one of the things we forget, and I think, because I've read Jonah a bunch of times like you guys, and I think we forget how really horrible it would have been inside the fish. And you kind of have this weird disconnect, and it gets a little bit fairy taleish. And so here's a little quote um, I was reading this week. I like this. In my house, we have this precious moments picture of Jonah. He's sitting in a living room inside the valley of the fish, smiling, relaxing, sipping tea. No! He was submerged in stomach bile that was eating away at his skin and getting in his eyes. He likely didn't sleep. Um, it's just cool to think about this, this prayer he prays in the, in the middle of the fish that, uh, that Tom unpacked so well last week. It would be totally pitched back. Most probably can't even move. Um, literally, his, his skin would have been being eaten away. Imagine getting stomach bile that's designed to eat. <laughs> in your eyes, up your nose. Um, most people think, obviously, he didn't eat this whole time. Most probably didn't drink this whole time, which, because we know you can only last for so many days without drinking, he's possibly almost near death when he gets vomited onto the beach. So pretty horrible time um, for Jonah, right? Pretty horrible time for Jonah. But then we get to chapter 3, and we have this whole twist, right? Um, and this is that, that little key phrase that I want to keep coming back to. It's not always easy to obey God, but it's much easier than disobeying him, right? <laughs> Much easier than disobeying him. And then at the end of um, chapter 2, you have what I think is one of the funniest verses in the Bible, um, and this one here. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Funny verse, you with me? 
Oh, I think it's hilarious. And like Tom mentioned last week, how does God speak to a fish? Is it like, I was going to do my, remember when Dory speaks to the whale? She's like, hey there, free. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How does God speak to a fish? But the fish vomits. And it's kind of interesting. It says he vomits them up onto dry land, which is kind of wild because last time I checked, most fish don't like coming up onto dry land. So either, and this is kind of gross, but I was thinking about this week, it's kind of a power vomit. <laughs> and Jonah does the woo and lands on the beach. Or, or God, because he can control all things, the fish literally wiggles up onto the beach a bit. Out comes Jonah, bleached maybe. And, oh, crazy, eh? Crazy book. You with me, eh? That was my whole point. I love that, that little chapter. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty horrible. And pretty smelly, I would think, right? Um, who loves to fish here? Anyone loves to go fishing? Okay, you're all weirdos. I just hate, I absolutely hate fishing. And it, I have heaps of mates that are obsessed with fishing, fishing and they cannot get into their brain that I just hate fishing. So they keep asking me, oh, bro, we're going fishing on Saturday. You ready to get up at three in the morning and go fishing? And I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> There's this cool thing called bed that you do at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but occasionally, and this is a subtle hint to anyone who likes to fish, occasionally they might bring me a fish after they're fishing. Just subtle hint, right? But they often stink, not to be rude. And there's something about, maybe it's just guys, I don't know, maybe ladies could spend a day fishing and they wouldn't stink. But there's something about guys and fish that just stink. You're with me, eh? I'm right? Man. And so you imagine Jonah's been inside the fish for three days, stomach bile, eating at him. I'm guessing he'd had no hair. Because surely over three days, stomach bile would do your hair. And, um, anyways, vomit on the beach, stinking, pretty nasty. And then he's going to head off into the city and tell them about the Lord. It's kind of a, it's a crazy book, right? Anyway, okay, so that's a bit of a quick recap. So I gave this uh, the non-surprising um, title, if you like, of this little message. Jonah and the God of Second Chances, right? Jonah and the God of Second Chances and Third Chances, Fourth Chances, Fifth Chances, Fiftieth Chances, um, because like Rachel said so well, our God is a God of compassion, and there's just no limit, right? <laughs> there's no limit to God's compassion. God, There's nothing any of us could do that God would be like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm a forgiving God, but there's a line. It, there, there's just nothing, right? He just loves to forgive, loves to pour out his compassion on us. I love that. Okay, so Jonah and the, the God of Second Chances. And to, to really cement it, and I know heaps of you have read Jonah like 50 times, so just kind of bear with me on this. Um, to make it really clear how, how clear God wants us to get the message of second chances, we have to compare the beginning of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 3, right? So if you've got your Bible, jump over to, to Jonah chapter 1, and I'm just going to read this a little bit again, because um, it's just super clear. Right, and I'll read it verse for verse, and you're like, you just see the comparison. So obvious, eh? So, Jonah chapter 1, I'll read verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Let's read it in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, It's almost identical, right? He's already identified he's the son of Amittai. That doesn't need to say that again, but it's almost identical. So, you're like, if you're reading this the first time, you'd be like, ooh, man, this is really interesting. It's like the exact same call again. What's going to happen? Oh, my gosh. So go back to chapter 1, and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Okay, jump over to chapter 3. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and call out against it the message that I tell you. Again, it's almost identical, right? And you see what I'm saying, right? God's saying, Jonah, you totally stuffed up. You nearly killed a whole boatload of sailors, but I'm the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, right? Making it real clear. Now, if you're reading this the first time, I'll go back to chapter 1, verse 3. But, and you're like, no, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went, you know, yada, yada, and you're like, ah, rebellion, ah. Now, if you're reading this the first time, you'd be reading the same thing, verse 1, basically the same thing, verse 2. You'd be sitting on the edge of your seat. Are you with me? Because you'd be like, what's going to happen? Is there going to be another but? What's happening? What's happening? And then we get to verse 3. So, and you're like, oh, Jonah arose and went, yay! And then we're according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was a great city. It's this, this cool thing where God restores Jonah exactly to where he was. He's a prophet, which is a real prestigious role in Israel, right? Totally restores Jonah back to this. Oh, I just love that. Eh? Ah, I don't know. I just get excited with the second chances thing. It's cool. All right, here's another little quote. I'm thinking about this. Um, Jonah's story is our story too. Minus being digested in the belly of a swimming taxi for three days. I just love that phrase. Funny phrase? Okay, I, thought it was, I thought it was funnier than you guys are laughing, but that's all good. Um, this story is about God going after Jonah and us to bring big forgiveness. When Jonah turned left towards the sea instead of turning right towards Nineveh, his heart must have yelled out, I shouldn't be doing this, <laughs> but he did. Oh, I just love that, eh? I love that. Um, to me, it's really easy to miss that the core of this whole story is God and Jonah interacting, right? Some people say, oh, the whole, this whole story is about the Ninevites. It's like, no, 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 no. The Ninevites is like a subplot, like a side plot, whatever the, the cool um, terminology is. The, the main story in this whole book is about Jonah and God and the interactions. And the very clear story in chapter 3, and you can see it the way he compares it with chapter 1, is this God of restoration, this God of compassion, this God of restoring. Right? I just absolutely love it. Um, so I kind of want to just sit on that for a minute, and then we'll get back to kind of unpacking Jonah. Um, I don't know. I'm going to try and not get too emotional when I say this, but one of the things that just makes me so sad as a pastor, as a Christian, whatever you want to say, is when someone thinks they have done something so bad that they are now discounted from being used by God. Does it make sense? Right, you bump into people. I bumped into heaps of people over the years that go, yeah, God's cool, God uses people, God's a God of compassion, but, but bro, if you only knew the stuff I've done. And I'm always like, let's turn to the book of Jonah. Let's turn to, there's so many, so many stories in the Bible where people stuff up because we're, we're, we're broken people. We're really good at messing up, right? And God just like does all he can to keep the door open. He bends over backwards to show he's a God of love and compassion forgiveness. And again, I just love the story of Jonah. It's this full restoration. It's not like in chapter three, you're like, oh, he's now a sub-prophet or he's kind of a, he's not a full prophet. You know what I mean? It's not like that at all. It's like, no, no, God wants us to see clearly Jonah totally stuff up. He repents inside a fish, which is kind of a cool way to repent while being eaten by stomach bile. Um, and God fully restores him. So I want to say this, and especially to you guys on the the video, listening on podcast day, um, oh, Ophelia just died. You okay, Ophelia? You good? She's risen. Oh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Shot, Ophelia. Good acting out this sermon. Um, I just really want to say to you, hey, God is a God of second, third, 50 millionth chances. One of the things I was thinking about this week is I wonder how many times Jonah could have run away 
and God will keep coming back to restore him. Like how many times would we read chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 1? You know what I mean? In, in Jonah's life, would there have been a point where God's like, nah, and the answer is no, there's not a point. God is a God of restoration, forgiveness, and love. So I, I just need to say to you, eh, if, if you're thinking, oh, man, God, it's the classic thing. Eh? God couldn't use me because of what I've done. It's like, what? That's just not the message of the Bible. Um, and then the other side I want to say, and this is a slightly awkward thing to say, is and God is always ready for us to recommit to him when we've kind of clocked out of Christianity for a while. Um, sometimes life is really hard really hard. And sometimes seasons just smash us. And sometimes we just find, man, I just haven't been hanging out with God. I haven't been reading the Bible or worship music or been to church or whatever the heck for ages. And it's like, oh man, maybe God's done with me, you know? And God's reply is like, what? (laughs) No, I'm never done with you. Um, Never done with you, eh? This is a really bad illustration, but this is the best illustration I could come up with. Most of us have a favorite coat or shoes or something like that that's hanging in a closet that we know we will never wear again because it's so uncool, but we just love it and we can't throw it out. Are you with me, eh? I have like a couple of jackets that I don't think I'm ever going to wear, but I could never throw them out, right? They're really cool, but they're not cool enough to actually wear it in public, right? But they're in there because I love them but I'm never going to use them again, right, ever. And if I did, Jose or one of my kids would be like, eh, you cannot go out in public wearing that. That is just nasty. But I'd be like, but I love it. But I'm never. So I've never seen a verse in the Bible where God goes, and you are a coat that I will hang in my closet. I love you, but I'm never going to use you again because you're kind of nasty in public. Do you know what I mean? There's just, you never see that verse, right? Um, there's never a verse that God says to you, hey, you've done something so bad that I'll, I still love you, but I'm hanging you in the closet. <laughs> I'm not going to use you. There's also no verses in the Bible that say you've fallen away because life's hard and there's been a rough season. And so I'll hang you in my closet. I'll never use It's just not there. <laughs> God loves to restore us and invite us back in and Use us mightily again. He doesn't do Jonah as a sub. He's back to, bah, 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 you know, Jonah the prophet. Oh, I love it, eh? I love it. Ah, too cool. Yeah, it blows me away. Um, I'll show you my favorite. This is my favorite Martin Luther King Jr. quote. I'm like a bit of a Martin Luther King Jr. junkie, to be honest. So I was in Washington, D.C. Um, October last year, and in D.C., they have a lot of um, memorials to real famous people um, from American history. And the memorial to Martin Luther King Jr. is just phenomenal. And then they have all these massive quotes of his on this huge long wall. And I was just walking around just going like, oh, my gosh, this guy is amazing. And he has, I'm going to show you in a minute. He has this really cool quote. And the thinking is about anything we do with God or for God is just awesome. <laughs> and in God's kingdom and God's universe, whatever you want to say. There's no such thing as big jobs and little jobs. It's just jobs. <laughs> like God doesn't look at Shelley and be like, whoa, Shelley's an elder, so she's so amazing. But Captain X, who cleans the toilets, is like, eh. do you know what I mean? It's like Shelley's this awesome elder, Captain X. I know the person's name, but I'm not going to say who it is. <laughs> um, Captain X, who cleans. They're, they're awesome because they're serving God, man. And God always puts a call in our heart. He always puts a call in our heart to, to serve him in some way. It might be something tiny. But for God, it's like, woohoo! 
And so if God's calling you, um, again, you can't say, oh, but what I did, or oh, I've been out of it for too long. It's like, no, 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 no. God will always call you into service for him. And something you love, right? He always puts a passion in your heart. He never calls you to do something you're like, oh my gosh, I hate this. You know. Um, so this is my favorite Martin Luther King Jr. quote. I love this. Um, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should, this last bit's just mind-blowing. He should sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Man, I just love that, eh? It's so cool. Um, whatever God calls you to do, it's something that you'll just thrive in, right? It might be, in your mind, little. And God's like, what? There is no little in the kingdom of God. It might be massive, you know? God just loves to use us, eh? I love that. All right. I was going to do, do a weird little challenging thing about anyone thinking God's saying, hmm, calling, passion, but I think I'll leave that with Jesus. It's all good. All right. Let's boost on. Um, so now we get to um, into more into chapter three, right? So I've done that little comparison of the um, chapter one and chapter three. And then if you carry on down to um, verse four, it just gets crazy. And I'm going to read this. And Rachel read it, but as you know, it's good to read it a couple of times. Repetition sinks into our brains. Um, so honestly, when again, I'm real visual when I, I read the Bible and I, I try and see what's happening here. And I just go, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous what happened. So let me read this again. Um, so verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days. <laughs> I don't know why he said it in that constrained voice, but that's how Jonah spoke, apparently. No, <laughs> yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown or destroyed or whatever your Bible says. And, the, and this is the crazy thing, right? Now, let me just pause. In reading about it this week, this is a really fascinating verse. There is so much argument over that verse 4, because they're like, hang on. It literally says, literally, he walked... So, the city's massive, right? With, they reckon about 120 to 150,000, which similar size to Hamilton. Interesting. Um, they reckon, um, so one of the theories is that he literally just walked a day's journey in. It took three days to go through the whole city. He walked a day's journey in, said that once, and then he leaves. Now, because you've got to remember chapter one, remember he doesn't want to go. And the reason he doesn't want to go is because he hates the Ninevites, because they are the most evil, vile, horrible people on the planet. And they have done horrible, horrible things to the Jewish nation. And so his friends, family maybe have been killed and destroyed by... So when God says, go and tell them to repent so I don't destroy them, he's like, I'll go the other way. And then God will destroy those stinking, smelly Australians. No, stinking, smelly Ninevites, right? Um, so, so you get it, right? So a lot of people think he literally still doesn't want to preach. So maybe he just walks in a day's journey, says that statement... I've done what God told me to do, I've been obedient, and I'll see you later. And he goes in, you know, chapter four. The other idea is that he says this as a day, he goes in for a day, and then he stops and leaves. So he really doesn't say it a lot, if you're with me, right? And so now you get to verse, so really if you're reading this, you'd be like, seriously, bro, this is lame, lame effort, lame effort, nothing's going to happen. Like, this is a city of 120, 150,000 people, some weird 
smelly fish guy with no hair, maybe bleached, with bloodshot eyes, kind of stumbles in, stinging a fish, repent, and they're all like, idiot, you know what I mean? And then you get to the next verse, and you're like, shut up. And the people of Nineveh believed God. What? Really? He just said one tiny phrase, maybe once, maybe for a day, what is happening? They called for a fast, they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, who's so evil. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and then the next one is hilarious. eh? He issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the tree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, let the beasts be covered with sackcloth. Oh, just crazy. I I just love that, eh? Um, So one of the questions is, why? Why does Jonah go in, say this absolutely simple phrase, and the entire city changes, repents? And so because y'all are a lot smarter than me, he clicks. Here's some questions that we'll discuss. So let me read them, and then we'll, we'll talk through these. So here's the first one, exactly what I said. Why do you think the people of Nineveh repented so quickly and completely? Because it's bizarre. You with me, eh? It's bizarre. Thank you, whoever said very bizarre. It's good. It's crazy, right? Number two, why do some, so not us, because we're legit, but some people, nah, why do some people say they believe in God, yet they're quick to disobey him? And that's what we see in chapter one, right? He's all about, I fear God, you know, and the sailor's like, really, you're running from God? What's going on? Uh, question three, seriously, it's e- is it easier to disobey or obey God? Why? So is it easier to disobey God or obey God and Why? So if you're a visitor, we literally will discuss these questions now. So we'll just break into groups and have a little chat for three or four minutes, and then we'll kind of come back and we'll carry on. So here's the, here's the, the out, though, if you're a visitor or if you're not a visitor, but you're hanging out with God, and you're like, hang on, I don't want to talk to these awesome people around me. If you stare at the screen, then no one will bug you. That's the deal. So if you're staring at the screen, that means you and God are hanging out. You'll be left alone, but if you're not staring at the screen you will be pounced on and people will talk to you. Okay, so we'll just take a couple of minutes and just choose one question or a couple, whatever you want to do. All good. Okay, kia ora, kia ora. Alrighty. Hey, kia ora, Daniel. Good to see you, bro. Hey, so what do you reckon? What are some thoughts? Let, oh, any question? I don't know. Hey, Louise, what do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's cool, eh? Ngamihi, Louise. Louise said sometimes people just forget about who God really is, which I think is a classic one, eh? That's cool. Shot, Louise. Anyone else? Any other thoughts on any of the questions? Yeah, Vinny. Oh my gosh, go, brother. Yeah, that's cool. Trick them and get away. That's cool, bro. Shot, man. Super good. Anyone else? Sorry? Say the beginning part again, bro. They lied that he 
Oh, that's cool, bro. That's cool. So I might lose a bit in translation. So Vinny's saying that maybe they got really tricked and wanted to run away. That's kind of a day. Yeah, yeah. Say that. Yeah, they need to say sorry quick so they get out of trouble. Super cool. Translation is terrible, sorry. Anyone else? We're good? Yeah, Rachel. Whoa, it's better be amazing then. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. Oh, that's groovy. So um, what Rachel and Teen are saying is there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And so maybe the way Jonah said it, um, the way God communicated it through Jonah into their souls, I'd say, hey, um, they heard conviction, not condemnation, which is what brings the change, right? And most of us know, not always, but most of us know people who are doing something really evil, and deep in their soul they know, right? They know, and so it's possible. Yes, yeah, so that's really cool. Yeah, Lindley. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool, eh? Sorry, so Lindley and Martin are saying maybe he did look hilarious and bleached and stuff, and they were like, holy cow, if we disobey God, then we might get swallowed by fish, right? So... No, nah, all good. All right, let's party on, eh? Cool, cool. So heaps of different um, ideas. I think one of the key things I always think about in that first, the first question, um, why do you think the people of Nineveh repented so quickly and completely, is because, and I don't mean this in a cheesy way, this is the Word of God, right? This is the creator of the universe who spoke through Jonah, and so of course you'd expect something just bizarre to happen, right? So I, I wasn't, I'll do this quick illustration. Um, a friend of mine was speaking at a youth camp, and it was a thousand middle schoolers, right? So if you know anything about middle schoolers, to be speaking to a thousand middle schoolers is just insanity, absolute insanity. So he was speaking at this camp over Easter, and the messages were cool. I think there was like six messages or something over the thing, and some good chats, but nothing really exciting happening. And then on the last night, um, he did the, the kind of, you know, come to Jesus and return to Jesus and all that cool stuff. Um, and did it, and out of the thousand kids, um, he said he sat on the edge of the stage, he did his little talk, did a prayer, said, if you want to, you know, come forward, and we'll have people come meet with you, shut his eyes, heard lots of noise, and when he opened his eyes, there was only about 30 or 40 kids still sitting, and the whole, like, 950 or something kids had gotten up and come forward, and it was really funny, because he said the, the director, leaders of the camp were running around like maniacs, trying to find enough rooms, and all this stuff, and like he was talking to the, the main guy who ran the camp, who'd said, we've never seen this before, and said, this is a move of God, right? You just don't have that many middle schoolers <laughs> want to repent and <laughs> seek the Lord unless God moves, so God can do anything, because if you read it 
without going, this is God. It just sounds a bit fictitious and a bit bizarre, so I just love that. I just wanted to, to finish by comparing this real quick with a parable that Jesus tells. And as soon as I click it, you'll be like, yeah, 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 of course. So the whole story of the prodigal son. So to me, the story of the prodigal son is one of the most beautiful stories that Jesus tells. And there's just so many similarities with the story of Jonah, and especially what we see in chapter 3. So I'm just going to read a few bits real quick. So jump over to Luke 15 if you've got your Bible. Um, and again, I know a lot of you have read this uh, heaps of times, so I'm not going to go into heaps of details, but, you know, super fast recap, super arrogant son, he's the youngest, uh, comes to his father, essentially in their culture says, I wish you were dead, because if you were dead, I could take the inheritance, but you're not dead, so give me the inheritance anyway, which is off the charts disrespectful. The father, out of love, um, gives the son, again, it's a story, Jesus told a parable, the father, out of love, gives the son half of everything he has, son goes off to a foreign land, and squanders it in sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as they say, um, which none of us would know anything about, of course. Um, And then a massive famine hits, and he's working with pigs, which in Jewish culture is like the worst thing you could ever do. And he's literally starving to death, and he's feeding the pigs um, pods, which is like, we feed cows hay. It's like nothing. It's just rubbish. And he's so starving to death, he thinks, oh my gosh, I'd love to eat... um, these pods, because he's literally dying. And then we have this crazy verse in verse 17. And he goes, um, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm perishing here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then we have this, this crazy flip in the whole story when we see the response of the father. So the son's been horrible, right? You've really got to get. When Jesus was telling the story, when he said that bit about the son wanting the inheritance, they would have just been like, what the heck? You just don't do that, right? And then we read this, this amazing response um, in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring the robe, the ring, the shoes, right? So just a couple of little points about this that I think link back really well to the story of of Jonah. Um, First of all, it's the father is searching, right? And that's totally what you see in chapter 3. Now, I'll read it again, right? Um, Where are we? And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, and, and you have this beautiful image, which again is totally countercultural, of the father, and I always imagine him in, a, in a, um, a, one of our suburbs, which is totally not Jewish. And the father every day gets up early and he goes and stands out by the letterbox. And he's just looking down the road, longing for the son who has been so disrespectful to come home. And he's just, because he sees him a long way off. I mean, Jesus is telling the story, and Jesus is a great storyteller. And it's this beautiful image of God longs for us to return. And we do dumb things all the time, but God (laughs) stands by the letterbox every day going, I wonder if today's the day when my son, when my daughter is going to return. You know, I I love that imagery, right? And then the next thing, which again, when Jesus said this, there would have been a massive gasp with the people listening, right? The next thing he says, um, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And then this next bit, and felt compassion, which is Rachel's word, right? And ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
and you guys know this, in Jewish culture, an adult Jewish male never runs. You just don't run. And yet the father sees the son who's been so disrespectful, and he runs to him, which is like, what? And then I love this bit here, um, and embraced him and kissed him. In the, in the Greek, so this is written in Greek, right? In the Greek, the word that, um, that Luke chose for kissed him, it literally means to kiss and 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 kiss. It's like an ongoing kiss, kiss, kiss. Or it means to kiss so tenderly and delicately and beautifully. And that just makes me burst into tears because I'm like, of all, of all the stuff that Jesus is saying, and when Luke was inspired to write this, God made sure he got it that God looks in the distance. When we do return, God runs, and God just wants to embrace and kiss. And oh, I just love that, eh? Beautiful story, eh? You with me, eh? Beautiful story. Okay, two more little bits about this. Um, about this. The next thing is kind of obvious, right? And it's where the, the father cuts off the son. So let me read what the son was going to say. I'll rise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But then when he, he gets to the speech, he goes, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, which is repentance, right? He repents. He doesn't come back arrogantly. He comes back repentant and broken. And then he says, um, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's really clear because he's prepared his speech, right? You imagine, again, it's a story, but you imagine the whole way he's walking back from the foreign land of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The whole way back, you'd be just saying this over again, over again, over again. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I just want to be a hired. You just say it again and again, just going, oh, my gosh. I hope Because if he doesn't accept him back, he's going to die. You get it, eh? He's literally dying of starvation in the foreign land. Now he's come home. You just say it again and again and again. So there's no way he stops at that point. The father must interrupt him. And this is where I just love it. Ain't it? And it's like the father goes, pff, pff. <laughs> but the father said to his servants, um, bring quickly. He just cuts him off, right? And the, the idea is so clear from Jesus that Jesus wants us to get that the, the idea of being a child of God and then not a child of God is like, eh. <laughs> It's just, it's an impossibility in God's mind, right? The son has been so horrible. He launches into his, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father's just like, stop. <laughs> stop. You are my son. It's got nothing to do with you being worthy or doing evil or good to earn my, you're my son. I just, I love that, right? I just love that. And then the last little bit, and again, real quick. This last little bit. But the father said to the servants, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the shoes. And in Jewish culture, I reckon everyone would be in tears at this point because these are really significant things, right? So the robe is the sign of position. So in Jewish culture, a son would always have a special robe given to them by the father that says, you are my son. This is important. I need you to know your position. Your position is you are my son, right? And again, there's this beautiful imagery that Jesus is doing to us, that when we become children of God, it's like God goes, you are my son, you are my daughter, right? And then he gives him the ring, which he wouldn't have had, because he would have sold everything, right? Gives him a ring, which is a sign of authority. And it's like, you now have the full authority of the Father. You can buy, sell, trade, everything in the name of the Father, because you have his ring signifying it, right? Same thing with us, right? We have the full authority of God, because he restores us, brings us in. And then the last one I always think is beautiful, shoes. Because in their culture, servants were not allowed to wear shoes. Slaves could not wear shoes, right? They always had to be barefoot. And this guy would be barefoot coming home. 
And straight away, the father's like, no, 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 no. You are a free man. You're not a slave. You're not a servant. Shoes. Ah. Oh, beautiful story, eh? Ah, let me pray. It too. Jump up. Let me pray. Yeah, I love it. I'll just say it again, right? Um, none of you are a coat <laughs> or an old pair of shoes, pair of shoes in God's closet. Um, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, um, God just loves to restore. He's a God of, like Rachel said, a God of compassion. Um, standing by the letterbox, <laughs> looking down the road, waiting for you to return. I, I just love that, eh? Um, God always has a call and a passion that he puts in our heart. The Holy Spirit is just almost desperate, I reckon, when you read um, 1 Corinthians 12, almost desperate to give gifts to us because God wants to use us. Ah, I love it. All right, let me pray. Yeah. Yeah, kia ora tua. Thanks for this amazing story of Jonah. That chapter 3 is just, <laughs> just wild, God. Um, and then that beautiful story, Jesus, that you told, that parable of the prodigal son, Abraham. Yeah, none of us in here are perfect by a long shot. Um, but we just love the imagery that you bring out in there so clearly. The father longing and looking. The father running. <laughs> the father embracing. The father kissing, 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 kissing. <laughs> it's just beautiful, God. You thank you that you look at us um, in exactly the same way. With love and compassion. A desire to restore a desire to call us again to do something amazing for you, whatever that is, God. Thank you that you uh, love us because of who you are. Eh? We don't have to do stuff to become worthy to be your kid like that little speech was by the son, but we are worthy because of the sacrifice of Christ and because you love us. Yeah. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.